This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly memo to the Liverpool owners. Don't even think about it. Think of the podcasters. Jurgen Klopp's men get hammered by Napoli. They concede four, but it could have been many more. Why is this happening? Lack of depth in the midfield? No Mane? What's happened to the defence? Surely Klopp isn't under real, possibly losing his job type pressure. And why aren't we focusing on Napoli, the Georgian Messi, Kvaradona? No pressure with those nicknames. Also in the Champions League, Rangers put to the sword in Amsterdam. Richarlison off the mark for Spurs. Bayern scoring beauties. Lewandowski scoring lots and some vintage Diego Simeone running down the touchline after an extraordinary injury time in Madrid. We'll ask if Graham Potter should take the Chelsea job, look ahead to the Premier League games, finally work out where Shane Duffy is, answer your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nicky Bandini, welcome. Morning. Uh, Mark Langdon from the Racing Post, hello. Hi, Max. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. All right. We're obviously going to talk about Liverpool quite a lot. But, Nicky, what a performance from Napoli. They were absolutely brilliant. That's quite a concession. I was definitely expecting a start on the Liverpool side of things. Yeah, they were, they were, they were really, really magnificent. And, you know, I, I was saying, even just sort of yesterday afternoon, I, I, I spoke to the, the World Service and they were asking about Italy sort of, or the day before yesterday, before the round started, Italy's teams. And I was sort of, I guess, vacillating a bit on all of them. But I said, the one game I'm really looking forward to is is Napoli against Liverpool because this Napoli team, I think, has really got something about it. And yeah, I had a feeling that they were going to show up. I didn't think they were necessarily going to show up quite like this, but they, they really have sort of brought something quite special together very, very quickly. Because if you think in the summer, a lot of people, certainly myself included, were quite pessimistic about Napoli's prospects this season. They said goodbye to Lorenzo Insigne, who was club captain. They said goodbye to Cardo Koulibaly, of course, who's gone to Chelsea. That's their deputy captain. They said goodbye to Dries Mertens, who's their all-time top scorer and probably the most beloved player in Naples, the one who everyone really like clings onto and adores. They adopted Neapolitan. They call him Chido, who was there, by the way, in the stands for this one. And they've replaced them with... Okay, Giovanni Simeone came in at the last minute from Verona. Okay, well, someone who's not played at the highest levels, not played in the Champions League before. How's that going to pan out? And also it happened very much at the last minute. And they replaced um, Koulibaly with Kim Jae-min at the back. And he sort of, again, sort of Korean player. People don't know him so well in Italy. They're not sure what they're getting. And then you've got 
Faradona, as people are calling him now, Karatskelia, who's a 10 million euro signing that was done actually in April. And yeah, there was some hype around him, but generally the expectations were, well, this maybe be someone who can pan out in a few years and be interesting down the line. He's the standout story for sure. I think he's been magnificent. And I think uh, one of those transfers that's going to get looked at as what was the rest of Europe doing at this moment? How did this player wind up there without more attention? Because essentially he's this sort of odd byproduct of the war between Russia and Ukraine because he's playing a Rubin Kazan in Russia. And then when the war happened, players, foreign players playing in Russia were allowed to, by FIFA, basically just leave their contracts. And so he leaves his contract, goes home to Georgia, plays a Dynamo Batumi for what, a month and a half. And Napoli sort of see this opportunity. They've obviously been tracking him beforehand and jump right on it and sign him for 10 million euros. I'm certain Rubin probably thought they were going to sell him for many multiples of that um, before everything changed in, in the market and, well, in the world, not just the market. And look, he's been astonishing. He's been astonishing from his from his debut. I think by the time he played two games for Napoli, he'd already completed across those two games a perfect hat-trick, left foot, right foot and head, as well as setting up an absolutely beautiful goal for, for Zielinski with an outrageous sort of half-court pass. And yeah, of course, with a player like that, when you've seen him in a domestic league that you pay a lot of attention to, has surprised you, has sparkled, has stood out, you think, is he going to be able to do it in the Champions League though? Is he going to be able to do it against competition Look, I know Liverpool haven't started the season particularly well, but they were in the final last season. So is he going to be able to do it against that? And yeah, I thought I thought he was brilliant, but I, I also don't want to sort of, you're going to tell me off this massive monologue now, but I don't want to ignore in that. Anguissa, who was magnificent. Osimhen, who was sensational for, for, for 40 minutes where he gets taken off the pitch. Zielinski, who's been incredible all season. Lubotka, who is probably the number one regista in terms of performances in Italy at the moment. I, I thought Napoli were extraordinary from from top to bottom um yesterday night to have mark the nicknames of you know basically messi and maradona is <laughs> quite a lot of pressure on one <laughs> on one football he doesn't seem to feel it does he uh no no certainly not yet and you know he massively took advantage of what was a problem area really for liverpool um down uh, their right hand side also um you know a, a lot of uh, nicky went through a lot of players there that uh, Played superbly for Napoli, but also the coach Spalletti is somebody that I think when when it works well for Spalletti teams, like their football is an absolute joy. And um, you know, he I think last season, of course, Napoli were first half of the season anyway. Really, you know, the the, the team of Italy and you know was getting quite excited about them maybe um, winning Scudetto, and it didn't work out for them. Um, but when they're on it, and you know, they are um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, to watch, obviously, didn't expect them to beat Liverpool for one. I thought it'd be a tricky game for Liverpool, and you know, I think if you can come away from Naples with a point, it, it's it's a good result in Europe. But um, they were, um, you know, they completely took Liverpool apart. Joa says, as a Liverpool fan, I would love to hear your favourite memories of Jeremy Beadle. Those distraction <laughs> tactics will will not work. Um, I mean, Barry, there's there's one sort of meme doing the rounds of um, of Trent Alexander-Arnold just not tracking at all I can't remember for which goal it was it might mean the third the third goal I think but that is not just the problem it's extraordinary how, how I mean Napoli made them bad and it's always that discussion with both games was it Napoli being good or Liverpool being bad but they didn't show up last night I think it was the second goal you're talking about but Napoli were undeniably good and Liverpool were 
undeniably terrible. They were humiliated last night and were very lucky to only lose 4-1, in my opinion. The, their defending was appalling. Um, just before we started recording, I was listening to a deconstruction of uh, Virgil van Dijk's performance on, on TalkSport, where it has sort of been genuinely agreed that in the past, Liverpool's forwards and midfielders were helping him out, doing his defending for him. But now that he's been exposed, he, he can't cope and he's running in triacle. Um, I don't think it's quite that bad, but he definitely hasn't been the same player since he came back from his serious knee injury. Trent Alexander-Arnold had a mare last night. Joe Gomez was shockingly bad. Uh, and and got hooked at half time, and it, it would be unfair to single him out for a probe rim because it was a collectively poor performance. I think James Milner, as loyal a servant as he has been, and as good a guy as he is, he's, he's just too old now. And Jordan Henderson is getting there as well. And look, if this was just a collective awful day at the office, you'd say fair enough. You know, these things happen. It's, you know, travel to Naples is an intimidating atmosphere. You, you can have a bad game, but Liverpool have not impressed at all this season yet. And if you discount the Community Shield, which I do, I, I don't think it's anything more than a friendly. They've they've won two games out of seven so far, drawn three. And that's just not good enough. They've They've dropped nine points in the league already. They could probably only afford to drop 20 maximum. So that's almost half their allowance gone with 32 games to go. And as Jurgen Klopp said last, you know, he he looked quite shell-shocked after the game last night and said, we, we now have to reinvent ourselves in the middle of a Premier League and Championship, Champions League season with the games coming thick and fast. How, how do you do that? And he said, Wolves will have been watching this game because they play Wolves at home on um, Saturday. He said Wolves have been watching that game and have been pissing themselves laughing. And, you know, they, they'll certainly have learned a lot from it. But I, I just couldn't understand why they kept leaving this, you know, ocean of space. Uh, clear blue water, I think we're supposed to call it now, after mm. all the, the client journalists yesterday on Twitter. And may I just take this opportunity to say, Sophie Ridge, very disappointing. <laughs> I expected better. Anyway, um <laughs> Yeah, they, they, so Napoli just kept exploiting this massive uh, ocean of clear blue water behind between the Liverpool defence and the goalkeeper, and Liverpool just didn't seem to try to do anything to fix it or to stop them doing that, and that for me was quite telling. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was an awful, awful performance by them. But Nicky, we're not at we're not at Jurgen Klopp out stage, are we? I mean, this is not. Todd Bowley and Thomas Tuchel, which we will get to in in part three. You know, Jurgen Klopp has earned the right to rebuild this team if he so desires, right? Well, you know, Graham Potter's only going to be available for so long, Max. <laughs> I don't true, know. You know, um, no, I mean, it, it shouldn't, right? I mean, this is someone who was in Champions League final again, literally. What? How many months ago is it? Yeah, they could have won the quadruple last year, right? You're absolutely right. And and look, you know. We are still very, very early in the season. It's always a sort of slightly chaotic period at the start of the season. A lot of games get played. But not that Liverpool's 
aims aren't set considerably higher than Arsenal's have been in recent seasons. But remember how badly Arsenal finished last season and they nearly finished in the Champions League. Liverpool have not started as badly as that. They could easily still be a top four team at the end of this season. And I don't know if they can compete for the title just because I think the pace for the title might end up being extremely intense again. But they can certainly be back in in the top part of the table and and they can certainly make it through this Champions League group as well. It's only still only one result. Um, I'm thinking about... Um, and Mourinho's Roma got thumped the other day. And Mourinho said, well, it's better to lose 4 0 once than it is to lose four games 1 0. And, and it's true, you know, you, and Liverpool have lost a few games of the league as well. So it's not one result. But certainly in Champions League terms, if Liverpool go and win their next five games in this group, then no one will think about this one anymore. So it's way too early for that sort of reaction. Having said that, I probably would have said it's too early for that reaction for, for Tuchel as well. So um, mm. obviously, football club owners always have their own ideas and prerogatives. Do you think, Mark? people are, are sort of working Liverpool out a bit? No, I, I, I just think that it's the, the Liverpool midfield is is where everything really works for them because, you know, it's that pressure on the ball that allows them to play so high and win the ball back. But when the midfield, and it's a collective thing really, and that's what Klopp was saying afterwards, That but when that midfield unit is unable to put pressure on the ball and Barry mentioned sort of James Milner being part of that and um, obviously they've had a lot of injuries in, in that area and haven't been able to get really a settled um, midfield together. It just makes the defence look a whole lot worse and you know there was just too much space everywhere really. I mean if you look at, I mean Conte gave a great interview um, a couple of weeks ago to Premier League Productions where he said he likes 30 metres between a, sort of his two reference points. So Kane and Dyer, the two reference points, 30 metres between those two. And I think Liverpool probably even play tighter than that, really, when they, they all push up and, and you know, there's no space for opponents to even play those passes that Napoli um, were attempting um, and, and succeeding with um, last night. And when that just sort of falls apart, then the whole team um, j- just looks at, and the individuals looking in disarray. So I think that reinvent themselves is a really interesting point from Jurgen Klopp, because what does he mean? Did, interesting to, does he mean that actually we can't, because the midfield is not working, we can't play like that anymore and we are going to have to retreat, maybe play like how Manchester United have done, where they, they kind of, you know, put on a, a side kind of Ten Hag's footballing values for a little while just to get a few results on the ball. Does he mean change in formation. I mean, they've got the players to be able to play with wing-backs, for instance, and and, and move to, to free centre-backs. So I, I am intrigued to see what what he meant by re- reinvent themselves and whether it was just a, a throwaway word and sort of, um, you know, on a really bad night or whether he is thinking of, of changing what has been so successful for so long, really, at Liverpool. There is one thing that I think... You know, if if there is an alarm bell for Liverpool, it, it feels like it is this for me, which is what Napoli did to Liverpool, certainly when they didn't have the ball, was nothing sort of revolutionary. It was a very aggressive, sort of intense press in, in those higher areas of the pitch and then just extremely quick transitions into the attack. I mean, Napoli, possession-wise, when you look at the numbers afterwards, I think they had less than 40% of the ball. They didn't keep the ball. They just went for the jugular over and over again. And I think that is only possible because for a lot of the game, it just felt like their intensity level was a notch higher than Liverpool's. And, and I think this was something that really got picked up on the BT sport coverage of the game. Rio Ferdinand was, was picking on sort of players individually, but not to sort of be mean, but to highlight it. And of course, Alexander-Arnold got highlighted, Gomez got highlighted. There were just a lot of moments when Napoli were making those, again, those sort of immediate breaks forward where, where individual Liverpool defenders just weren't responding anywhere near as sort of quickly as as... Napoli's players were and I think it was interesting actually I thought in the 
uh, Italian coverage of this game. I've, I've read more than one report already this morning describing it as Napoli looked like the Premier League team, which is an interesting turn of phrase. I think reflects a little bit how there is a bit of an inferiority complex, frankly, in Italy these days about the Premier League. The Premier League is this sort of bigger, richer, more intense league than Serie A. But I think there was truth in in that um, that side of things. And I think that's maybe the one thing that would really bug me is that that's something that Klopp's normally so good at. Klopp is normally so good at getting his team to be the one that will aggress you, that will that will be more sort of in your face than you can be in theirs. And, and something seems to be missing there. And and I think that's the thing that's a bit intangible and wishy-washy to talk about, but it does matter and, and I don't know how you fix it. I like this question from Bob who says, with Tuchel being sacked and Liverpool getting battered, have teams finally worked out how to deal with over-animated touchline behaviour? It's bad news for Simeone and Conte, isn't it? And good news for... Who is, who's the manager who just sits there and does nothing and just takes a little note? Sort of, I mean, even... Brendan Rodgers. You'd say Brendan Rodgers? He loves yeah, a notebook. A, he does like a notebook. Could be, yeah, could, right. I mean, maybe Sven's time's coming around again. <laughs> he was always um, very passive on the touchline. Can we, can we just mention one more thing? Just It's a Sid Lowe note, actually, but it's a Sid tweet, which he pointed out. Um, Giovanni Simeone, at 13 years old, when he shouldn't even have been allowed to yet, when and got a tattoo of the Champions League logo on his arm because he said... Um, you know, I've got that 13 because when I score my first goal in the Champions League, I want to kiss it. And of course he did it and kissed it. And I just thought that was, that was a cool moment. I mean, he's been waiting more than a decade, I guess, to, to get to make that happen. So, yeah. Think how, how far we could have got as footballers if we'd got tattoos. The, the <laughs> Simod Cup, the Leyland, Leyland Daff Trophy, Zenith Data Systems. I could have had them all on my arms. Um, also in this group, Ajax hammered. Rangers uh, football talks us how good were Ajax even after losing half the squad they still beat Rangers 4-0 and that's the thing Barry they're a bit like like a worm there's a worm you know you just got cut off the end of a worm not that I spend any time doing that you know they just regrow and they're fine again you know and they've lost their manager they've lost so many players and this has happened again and again and yet they looked absolutely brilliant yeah they were hugely impressive but again Rangers were shocking so bad it was it beggared belief now we didn't have time for any analysis of the old firm game on monday but rangers got spanked in that and were appalling like i was shocked by how how awful they were and uh, celtic just bossed them in every single department beat them with a series of quick throw-ins where rangers fell asleep switched off and you know basic stuff and last night um, as good as, as Ajax were, Rangers were awful. And they were so bad that Ali, Ali McCoyce was doing punditry for BT Sport. And I love Ali McCoyce. He's upbeat. He's laid back. He's funny. You can see the positives in anything, but not this. At half time, he was furious, like furious. And, you know, since he's retired, or I, I don't think I've ever seen him be anything other than jovial and, and you know. I don't think I want an angry Ali McCoy. <laughs> well, uh, it made me sad. It, like, it saddened <laughs> me how angry he was. And and his comments more or less summed up the performance. That's poor. That's really poor. No fight, no spirit, no belief at all. Two of the three goals have been horrendous. There's absolutely no positives at all. It's been a really, really poor 45 minutes which has just been a continuation from the weekend. So they let in three soft goals in the first half. One of them was a deflection so uh, from Berghaus. 
so we'll say maybe a little unlucky, but um, Hook, James Tavernier, who's kind of the Rangers talisman a bit, Scott Wright and Malik Tillman, they were all taken off at half time. Borna Barisic had a a goal disallowed, a good goal disallowed for for an offside in the build up by Ryan Kent. So that was a little unlucky, and then. They gifted Ajax a fourth goal when, to be honest, it didn't matter. Brian Jack with one of many loose passes played by Rangers players in, throughout the evening. That let, let in Stephen Bergwijn, who sort of skipped around the goalkeeper and, and scored into an empty net. But like Ajax have lost Anthony, they've lost Lissandro Martinez, they've lost Sebastian Aller. Uh, Ryan Gravenbach's not there anymore. So that, that's a lot of players and their manager. But um, they seem to have replaced the manager with a manager who looks exactly <laughs> the same. Like a, like a worm would do. A worm yeah, yeah. has a very similar head, doesn't Just it? Just an, another bald, middle-aged man with a beard. I don't even know who it is. And I, but, yeah, it's just they must have, like, a cupboard full of them. So, yeah, he's been poached by Man United. Just get another one down. Yeah, stick him in the dugout. Um, so, yeah, I, I watched the game, and then it occurred to me after it ended, Oh, that guy looks fierce like um, Eric Tanag. <laughs> I don't even know his name. I didn't catch his name. So, But yeah, very impressive from Ajax. Awful from Rangers. And I think Liverpool play Ajax next week at Anfield. That should be a cracker. Yeah. Uh, Mark, can you just furnish us with, I think he came from Bru- Club Bruges, didn't he? This man out of the cupboard. Yeah, it's Alfred Schroeder um, is his name. Uh, I bet Ten Hag's not busy on Champions League nights. Maybe, maybe they did just bring him back. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, let's uh, let's uh, do Group C uh, briefly. Bayern winning two nil uh, Inter. And Mark, both of these goals were so brilliant. I wonder. I wonder if can an own goal be goal of the month? Because the move <laughs> that led to D'Ambrosio's um, own goal was just. So good between Coman and Sane, wasn't it? I, I it really was um, fantastic. I, I don't think it can win um, goal of the month. I mean, maybe like a Lee Dixon one um, when he lobbed okay, at yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe that would have been good enough. But um, I, this was sort of, I, I think, what Julian Nagelsmann was talking about when they allowed Lewandowski to leave. Under, I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted him, him to depart, but he was talking about having a more fluid um, forward line. And I think you saw there was Sane. Um, even with the first goal, yes, uh, Mane drops a little bit deeper. Maybe Lewandowski doesn't want to do that, and then Sane's able to, you know, to, to run in behind and sort of take advantage of, of that space. So it was a really fluid, um, you know, performance in the, in the final third from Bayern. I was a little bit surprised, really, that they were able to keep a clean sheet. I, I, I never fancied Bayern to keep clean sheets against anybody that's sort of half decent. So um, a, a surprise, really, that, that they managed to do that. But um, a really uh, Lovely two goals from them for sure. Yeah, Sane's touch. I mean, the ball to Sane from Kimmich and Sane's touch were, were beautiful as well. Uh, Nikki, this was on my third screen, so that's sort of I'm starting to really like. I just I'm, I'm looking at it very occasionally. Didn't look like Inter did much, but you correct me if I'm wrong. No, when when Mark said anyone half decent, I thought God, well, are Inter in that category right now, which is a bit too damning to be fair. They were missing Romelu Lukaku, of course, so um, they're still a big signing of the summer, not not available. But they are poor at the moment, Inter. They've already lost, I think, already in Serie A. They've already lost half as many games they lost in the entire of of last season. Um, Simone Inzaghi just keeps, keeps, keeps being criticised for not getting his substitutions done quick enough or done right, and it's another of those games where they were sort of despite having not been very good at 1-0 
early in the second half, finally sort of generating a little bit of pressure with Dzeko and you thought maybe, maybe there's there's a way to get something out of this game. And he's got Nicola Barella, who's one of Italy's best midfields. He's left on the bench, which apparently is just a resting player's decision. But even that, you look at that and think, were you resting players against Bayern? You thought, well, we're going to lose this one. Let's keep him fresh, ready for um, the, the league game at the weekend and we'll try and win the, get, get through the group later on. I don't know. It was... There's not a good there's not a good vibe around Inter at the moment. They just lost the derby to Milan, and I thought this was a, a pretty um, feeble performance. Even though certainly expectations from the outset were that Bayern would win. Um, lots of people asking Barry if 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 Bayern are better without Lewandowski. Is Lewandowski better off without Bayern? Like he he, he looks pretty comfortable in a Barcelona shirt. I, I think they'll both cope without each other <laughs> somehow. Um, it looked weird seeing him in a Barca shirt, yeah, but it, su- it, it suits him. He fills it well, I think, and um, scored a hat-trick, brilliant, and a tip of the hat also to Usmane Dembele, who, who looked sensational in the limited highlights I saw of this game. Owen says, is VAR stopping Christensen from being sent off and conceding a penalty after getting an elbow in the mush? Further evidence of VAR ruining the game. Yeah, pills and player was through Christensen he elbowed Christensen in the face who's on falling to the ground sort of semi-unconscious fouled him the ref stood over Christensen as he's sort of out cold with a red card and it's sort of quite harsh to be sent I mean intent doesn't matter but if you're not conscious I think probably you shouldn't be you shouldn't be sent off should you Uh, and that goal was it Dembele's pass as well to Ferran Torres and Torres's sort of turn and volley Mark, that was just ridiculous, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. It, it was a, a lovely finish from from Torres, who last season was missed a lot of chances um, for Barca, and maybe this one where he, he didn't have time to think about it, a uh, more natural finish. But as Barry said, I think Dembele um, was the star of the show, even though Lewandowski got the hat trick, and it, it's really pleasing, I think, to see somebody of his talent kind of delivering because um, we haven't seen it often enough. And so hopefully, you know, this can be his season. It's a, it's a big one with, you know, with the World Cup around the corner as well. Uh, while we're on Barca, England midfielder Kira Walsh has joined them in a world record fee from Manchester City, about £400,000, um, breaking the previous record for a female player set by Chelsea, who paid a quarter of a million for Penilla Harder in 2020. She had a year left on her contract, leaves City after eight years. So many players leaving Manchester City at the moment, um, make sure you download the Guardian Women's Football Weekly to get a full preview of the WSL this week. But yeah, that's a great signing from Barcelona. Kira Walsh is an utterly brilliant footballer. Uh, and that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. (laughs) 
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Spurs 2, Marseille 0. Baz, you were on the minute by minute. It was very Conte, wasn't it, this? It was a pretty drab game. We we on Australian telly chose to do this over Napoli-Liverpool, mainly because we're going to do Liverpool games later, but we did feel like we'd picked the wrong game. That, oh, very much so. Um, I mean, the first half of this game was dreadful. Um, Marseille looked the better team. They looked like the home team. I don't think Spurs had a shot on goal, let alone on target. And Matteo Guendouzi, who I have to say, he, he's quite the villain. I do love him. He's, he's <laughs> always there up in the ref's grill, wagging the finger. And, you know, he's he's obviously a bit of a knobhead, <laughs> you know, because remember he got in trouble at Arsenal for, I think he was bragging that he earned more than Neil Mope or something like that, <laughs> which is just, come on. You just hope Neil Mope goes, we're all pretty comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wonder, Barry, does Conte care? Do you think Conte cares? Like, I've seen so many Tottenham first halves. Their, their recent run is great. They've been unbeaten in such a long time. I don't think Conte gives a shit that they just stink out the place for 45 minutes. Well, you can get away with that if, as long as you're winning or getting results. But if you're stinking the place out and losing, I think fans will quickly tire of it um, because they can accept not being entertained as long as the results are okay. Uh, but... And and Marseille were were doing all right until Chancellor Mbembe got sent off for a you know a blatant professional foul on Young Min Son. Uh, I thought it was a fair red card. Uh, even Guendozi didn't complain too too emphatically. <laughs> <laughs> and even down to ten men, Marseille had one decent opportunity where someone crossed the ball about across the face of goal and the substitute. Harrods couldn't untangle his feet in time and, and steer the ball goalwards. And then Tottenham's man advantage eventually told and, and Richarlison scored two outstanding headers, like outstanding headers. And he was very emotional after the game when he went to, to greet his family behind the goal. And interestingly, behind the other goal, uh, you could see one Joseph Barton, former Marseille midfielder, who was who was at the game in with the Marseille fans. Van der Sel says, uh, the Spurs play now like a Conte team in Italy, Nicky? <laughs> well, I was thinking, I mean, again, you talked about um, having in showing your third screen. Unfortunately, this was my third screen because I had um, the, the two Italian games both on the, the, the top two. Um, but I was thinking at a certain point after sort of glancing up and checking in as well on Baz's minute by minute report, like early in the second half, I was thinking this sounds like exactly a Conte team in Europe rather than the Conte team in Italy, because that was his reputation in Italy was, yeah, he'll he'll win the league, he'll 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 get the team there. But generally disappointing in the Champions League, of course, with with Juventus, there was the famous sort of um, dropping out of the Champions League against Galatasaray. They only got six points in the group that season. That was his last season there. Then two seasons at Inter, he didn't get them out of the group stage either time, despite winning the league second time around. They finished bottom in his first season there behind Shakhtar Donetsk, as well as Madrid and, and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Second season, um, sorry, that was, that was the, um, the second season. The first season, they were third, but admittedly behind Barcelona and, and Borussia Dortmund. But still, Inter had high expectations at that time. They were riding up to the top of the Italian table and still couldn't get anywhere in Europe. So actually, the Champions League specifically has sort of been perceived as, as Conte's Achilles heel, I would say, in Italy. So in the end, beating the team that was probably your biggest rival in the group, still a good result for them. But I don't know if they're playing... Um, 
necessarily exactly the same as as teams in Italy, but it is certainly true that if you want to talk in in broad, sweeping, slightly sort of lazy terms about the teams, yes, you know, for Conte, winning is always the only thing. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. Um, And again, to sort of call in his most recent experience, which was um, in Italy, which was in Inter, that was his whole shtick was Inter have a reputation as being Pazza Inter. They had this club anthem that used to be sung for kickoff, which he stopped from being sung for kickoff, which celebrates how crazy Inter are and how part of sporting Inter is. You've got to love them through the ups and downs. So we're not going to be crazy Inter. We're going to be boring Inter. We're going to be normal Inter. We're just going to win games. And that's what they did. And yeah, I don't think he'll mind one jot whether or not uh, people are entertained if his team's getting the results. Tommy says, are Son and Salah literally playing in golden boots? Is that why they look so laden? I mean, Mark, Son's touch isn't in. Of course, his run changed the game because that led to the red card. Kulisewski made such a big difference off the bench. Richarlison scored two. They've got Man City on Saturday. Who would you, who would your front three be? I, I would go with Kulisewski, Richarlison and, and Kane as, as the front three. And I, I think Conte has given Son enough chances to get that goal that he sort of thinks will just spark him back into life. The conundrum is that Son against Man City is like the the player that's caused them so many problems in recent years. Tottenham have got a sort of better than uh, record against City than most other teams. And it's usually Son that causes the damage. But I, I think the way that he's giving away possession, I mean, the, the lack of goals, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like that much of a problem to me. Eventually, him and Salah, you know, we just start getting back to, to normal levels. But Son's, all-round play is just well off at the moment. And I think why Marseille dominated so much in the first half was the fact that he, Kane, Richarlison as well, were just giving the ball away. And it was under intense pressure and um, Tudor's Verona team you know, played in very much the same way, very aggressive. And you know, he's sort of brought that identity to Marseille. But I think Richarlison has played so well. He's been the best try, best of all the forwards, I think, at Tottenham. He hasn't played that many minutes, but he was man of the match um, easily um, against Fulham. He made the difference um, in, in a lot of the other games. I mean, against Chelsea, he was just running around, but set up the goal at Nottingham Forest. Um, against Wolves, I thought he was very direct as well. Um, it was a lot of money that they paid for him. But at the moment, um, you know, I, I think he's he has to start, I think. Um, Sporting won 3-0 at Eintracht Frankfurt, also in this group. Former Spurs youngster Marcus Edwards from Enfield looked look great in this game. You were watching it, Mark, I don't know on which number screen, but you have your sort of the Lars Sivertson ability to watch every football match that's ever happened. This was on screen one. I was on, on a train home and uh, so I, 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 watched the, um, I watched this game. I mean, Marcus Edwards was the one player, I mean, if you think that Harry Kane's probably going to break the Tottenham goal-scoring record, I would say there was much more hype around Marcus Edwards coming through than there, there ever was about Harry Kane. It was just assumed that he would become a star at Tottenham. I think in Pochettino, not one for hyperbole, referenced him in the same sentence as Messi um, on one occasion. And it just didn't work out for him for whatever reason. Didn't work out. He had to really drop down. I mean, he went to Excelsior in, in the Netherlands, then Guimaraes in Portugal. Now he sort of got himself back to a level that he probably would have expected to be at, you know, when he was coming through. He was fantastic in this game. Scored one um, for Sporting, set up the other one. And those two goals in two minutes just completely took the game away from Eintracht Frankfurt. It was a, it was a really close game um, between two... I think, Fairly average teams, it has to be said, but Marcus Edwards was, was definitely the difference. Uh, the ninth British player to score for a non-British team in the Champions League. 
Um, after, I don't know if you want to do a quiz, I'll just read out a list, shall I? Jaden Sancho, Jude Bellingham, Fikai Tamori. Angel Gomez, who used to play for Manchester United, uh, scored for Lille against Wolfsburg last season. Steve McManaman, David Beckham, Michael Owen, and Jonathan Woodgate. To Madrid, Atleti 2, Porto 1. It was nil-nil in the 90th minute. This injury time, Barry, was absolutely brilliant. We were doing the post-match on TV, but watching this game, so really paying no attention to what we were saying out loud. Yeah, incredible scenes. Uh, Atletico take the lead, Porto equalise, and then Atletico win it at the death um, at, at a corner, wasn't it, I think? we got Obviously, we got the Diego Simeone gallop down the touchline in celebration, but it just looked like incredible fun. Um, I don't know what the, the game was like until the 90th minute, but certainly the, the, there was nine minutes of added time. So, you know, it wasn't that remarkable, but and yet it was. <laughs> it was. And Griezmann scored in the 11th minute of the nine minutes. Yes, Nicky? But there was an extraordinary stat from Opta that um, in Champions League history, there's only been two games with three goals scored from the 90th minute onwards, um, if you exclude extra time. And the last one was these same teams last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Um, Griezmann scored the winner. He came on in the 61st minute. So but they're still doing this thing where like, if he comes on in the 59th, they have to give Barcelona a load of money. So it just keeps coming on with 29 minutes left. It's Mark, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It is. Uh, I do wonder how sort of happy Griezmann is with just you know playing this bit part role. And then what happens if Morata or Jao Felix get injured? I mean, are they going to play sort of at the moment? It's fine because you know you, you can play. A, a, I just wonder if they get a couple of injuries. Like, would they still you know? be able to do that um, in an important game that say, I mean, there's a derby coming up against Real Madrid pretty soon. Um, would, would you play sort of somebody lesser up front? Um, I, I don't know. Can they start him and then take him off after 29 minutes? And they <laughs> do that a bit. <laughs> I, I just wonder if there's maybe a conversation to be had between Atleti and Barcelona where we say, look, you know, we're going to keep doing this. So why don't you kind of drop the fee um, to a, yeah. a more reasonable level and you'll get at least some money and, and then everybody can sort of just go about their business. But I, I do like it. It's, it's, a, it's a novel way of um, doing it. And sort of the shithousing from Atletico on and off the pitch just continues, doesn't it? They're the yeah. masters of it. Uh, yeah, Leverkusen keeper, uh, finish number one, Lucas Hradecki just caught the ball and just fell into the goal, which was... a. Uh, absolutely delightful to see at this level. Um, uh, well, Leverkusen's worst start in the Bundesliga for 40 years, so they're not having a nice time. And Simon Mignolet uh, is in the in goal for Bruges, if you wondered where he was. Um, uh, in slightly more disappointing news, UEFA are investigating uh, alleged discriminatory behaviour by Juve supporters at PSG. A uh, video on social media after the game appeared to show Juventus fans making monkey gestures. A statement from UEFA uh, on Wednesday says, in accordance with Article 31... Brackets four of UEFA disciplinary regulations at UEFA ethics and disciplinary inspectors have been appointed to conduct a disciplinary investigation regarding allegations of discriminatory behaviour by Juventus supporters. Uh, tonight, obviously, is the Europa League. Arsenal going to Zurich. Manchester United hosting Real Sociedad. Um, we will try and cover that on Monday. We'll almost certainly forget. Please forgive us. But to, to, to be fair, Max, we, we won't. <laughs> well, <laughs> if something I really big happens... I refuse to take any interest in the Europa League until... Quarterfinals? Quarterfinals. Okay. Do you sort of think maybe they should just get all the teams that are in it and just draw eight out and just say, that's the quarterfinals? It worked for me. Yeah, it works (laughs) for me too. Um, 
I'm looking forward to covering it on TV tomorrow morning, of course. Uh, and that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll begin talking about Chelsea and Tuchel and Graham Potter. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, so, so let's talk about uh, Chelsea in a bit more detail. We've had slightly more time to digest the news. We haven't heard Mark and Nicky's reaction either. Uh, by all accounts, the owners weren't happy with him, hadn't been happy for a while. It wasn't related to that result in Zagreb. Um, Todd Bowley wanted Tuchel to reply to his WhatsApps more quickly, which I think actually can be quite annoying if somebody doesn't, if you see the blue ticks and somebody doesn't get, well, not, not necessarily a sacking offence, but you know. You're maybe talking Tuchel... about Sid Lowe, aren't you? <laughs> not just Sid Lowe, but yes, I am. And, uh, you know, maybe he turned his blue ticks off. So you just don't know if they've read, that's, uh, you know, that, that's untrustworthy behaviour. Um and Tuchel's been irritated since the start of the US preseason tour. Um, Todd Bowley's the interim sporting director. It all feels a little bit championship manager to me, Mark, at the moment. Yes, I mean, definitely chaotic. I mean, their transfer window um, was very scattergun, and you you weren't quite. I mean, that sort of on deadline day, they were sort of you know, just trying to buy even more players, and you weren't quite sure who who was making those decisions and we're still not sure like the Cristiano Ronaldo very strong links with him throughout the summer and you just looking at that think well there's no way he can play in a in a, in a Tuchel sort of team the way that he wants those so that that movement in in his forward line and so already I suppose from that moment you felt like there was maybe um some kind of issues um not that I thought that it would have led to a sacking this quickly but um it, it did feel like maybe the owner and whoever it's sort of the owner is talking to want one set of players and maybe Thomas Tuchel wanted and another set of players and they ended up with a kind of mix of both um maybe um you know w- within that and didn't get rid of the players as well that Tuchel wanted uh, to to you know, and Lukaku left, but Ziyech and Pulisic were both on the market. Couldn't get rid of them, so maybe the owner was think was thinking, well, you know, maybe whoever comes in would like to work with those players. So um, it, it did feel slightly uneasy. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has been he was angry on that US tour, pretty angry on the touchline sort of every week. So. Um, it was it happened to Borussia Dortmund as well. He fell out with people, and and at Paris Saint Germain, where it's a lot easier um, to you know to, to to maybe fall out with um, people around you there. So I am still surprised though, because I don't think they're going to end up with a better coach um, than what they've already got. Albeit that I, you know I really like and admire if it is to be Graham Potter and what he's done. Todd Bowley comes from a baseball background. And stats are very important in baseball. Underlying numbers, you know, the the kind of XG of, of in, in terms of football. And Brighton have been the masters of that kind of underlying data for a while now. So I, I'd be amazed if Todd Bowley hasn't looked at those numbers and thought, well, if you give somebody like Graham Potter better resources, if he can do that on that budget, then, you know, we, we've got a, a magic formula. But I don't think it always works out like that. Think how many home runs... Mason Mount will score. Now Graham Potter's in charge. Suzanne says, why do so many of us care about a complete stranger? Am I crazy that I thought Potter was going to be faithful for years to come? Brighton fans are gutted right now. Such bad timing. And Joe says, would Potter to Chelsea be a waste? A manager that's built a project club over many years to a club in transition with clearly no plan or identity. It seems silly. What what do you think, Nicky? 
Yeah, I, 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 I definitely understand the fan experience of that. And, and of course, you think to yourself, well, we all want to believe in football that, that anything can really happen, right? And unless the city winning the league is our sort of one that we hold on to is the evidence that actually sometimes the underdog does win, right? Sometimes the underdog does defy expectations and win. And right now, Brighton are what, they're fourth in the table? They've started really well. I I think personally, I might be too cynical to believe that that a team can win the league, anyone, if City are as strong as this and Tottenham are as strong as this. I think there's a small pool of teams that can win the league. Um, and maybe Arsenal in that group, I don't know, probably not. But um, I don't think that Brighton could win this season. The reason they're able to win the season they did is because there wasn't anyone standing out because there were the, the, the big teams were all going through certain transitions and, and weren't quite where they would want to be. But, you know, there's still lesser goals than that you could consider very exciting. Maybe you'd think you could hang on and get them into Europe, get them into even the Champions League. I don't even know if that's realistic, but certainly I can see how you would you would want to to believe it. So, of course, romantically, you see that and you think, well, it's a bit sort of heartbreaking. And I also think it's not unreasonable to say Graham Potter is on a trajectory where he will get a job offer that's pretty big. And wouldn't he rather do that in a summer when he can have some control over the projects? I do think the timing of this is really chaotic. Like walking into this club at a time when this was talked about on yesterday's podcast, when there's just games every three days, it's asking a lot of a manager, especially a manager who does have quite a sort of, I guess, distinct way of playing, who has a, a type of football that he believes in and, and he's going to want to bring to a team. You're not going to be able to sort of walk in and click your fingers and make that happen. You know, on the other side of it, all these things are easy to say. And the other side is, yeah, but actually how many of these jobs are there in in world football? How many of these jobs are there at clubs that are genuinely among the sort of wealthiest, most powerful, most sort of consistently qualifying for the Champions League that have the resources to genuinely fight for the biggest honours in the world? It's a handful. And in fact, in some ways, it's lessened Um by the the concentration of financial resource in the Premier League now. Like it's not like there's a wealth of clubs elsewhere in Europe, even that you can consider. And I believe that Potter's the sort of manager who would consider elsewhere in Europe as well. Because of course he started elsewhere in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Barry, do you you sort of think he's got to take it, but of all the big six, it's probably the least tempting. Well, it all depends on whether he's given time and the speed with which Todd Bowley dismissed uh, Thomas Tuchel suggests he might not get the time. So they, apparently he's going to talk to them today. You would guess he would ask for certain assurances. Like I said on Monday, that if I was a Brighton fan, I'd be sweating because I thought, but that was with a view to him succeeding Gareth Southgate after the World Cup. I certainly didn't see him succeeding <laughs> Thomas Tuchel today. Um, but one imagines... Look, he has been linked with big jobs before. His name pops up as a potential next England manager. Brighton is an incredibly well-run club with an incredibly astute owner in Tony Bloom. I would be very surprised if they don't have a succession plan in place just for this eventuality. Um, I have no idea who that successor will be if Graham Potter leaves for Chelsea. And I read somewhere today that Todd Bowley, he wants a manager who, like you say, answers his WhatsApps, answers his silly questions about aspects of the game he doesn't understand. And I, I don't know, would you want that? 
I think there's another way of framing that though, isn't there? Which is that, you know, you've just bought this football club and you want someone who's excited to work with you. Like, and I, I, I get that actually, like, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be a billionaire who can buy a football club, but if I had spent a huge amount of money on some of that, I'd want to believe that the people working with me are excited to work together. Like I know it's sort of easy to sort of roll your eyes because they're American, but. Yeah. When you say silly questions, Barry, just the idea of Thomas Tuchel waking up at five in the morning to a WhatsApp saying, will, a, will there ever be a boy that can swim faster than a shark? <laughs> or I mean, oh, fuck off, Todd. I've got things to do. I'm trying to get Koulibaly to play as well as he did in Serie A. Leave me alone. I don't want to fight a hundred duck-sized badgers or whatever. <laughs> Thomas, can you download ink over the internet? <laughs> we'll get to that, Barry. Anyway, um, uh, they play Fulham on uh, Saturday. Uh, Kenneth says, correction notes from Wednesday's pod. Shane Duffy now plays for Fulham on loan from Brighton. Hopefully this is the new Sergio Ramos to PSG transfer everyone missed. Game of the weekend, Man City Spurs. We kind of touched on that. They're both level on points just behind Arsenal. Liverpool Wolves is a huge game. I wonder if Liverpool just, they'll just do the odd 9-0 just to sort of like ease the pain of, of the rest of it. Uh, Wolves have, I think they've got a work permit for Diego Costa. So that'll that's that's just great to have him back in the Premier League, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know if he's the answer, Mark, but... Well, I, I'd love to see him make his debut at Anfield, probably get sent off um, and then and be, be ruled out for three matches. And maybe that does bring in the the, the, the desperate need for an uh, Andy Carroll, which I was really hoping um, came off. That that would have been um, that, that would have been magnificent. I mean, I, I thought Diego Costa's time at sort of the top table was over um, a fair while ago. So interesting to see how fit he is but um yeah uh wolves have got to play somebody um up front i suppose they do yes he is a, he is a center forward i mean you know uh leicester villa must win for both managers uh or there'll be another crisis on monday um uh jordan pickford is out for up to a month which is a real blow for everton thinking how well he played in the merseyside derby they go to arsenal Another apology from me uh, to the people of New Zealand this time. They're also hosting the Women's World Cup twice. I've said it's in Australia, so apologies to the Kiwis everywhere. TJ says, since it's truly a football weekly, can I get Nikki's Super Bowl picks since the NFL kicks off on Thursday? How are the Cleveland Browns going to do, Nikki? Honestly, I, I feel bad about this, but the last year or so, I've just, I've not paid as much attention as I, as oh, I, really? as I used to because I, I haven't been covering it professionally. I haven't had as much work around it. Um, so I, I don't know is the true answer. You're only in it for the money is what you're saying, Nikki. No, I just, I, you know, life has been busy and, and, and football work has been busy and yeah, I haven't had as much attention on it as I used to. Fair enough. It'll probably be Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> um, Bloody Gimp says, does Barry think internet ham is real? <laughs> this is a Peter Serafinovich sketch where he, he, this couple download ham off the internet and it comes out of the disk drive after Barry asking me. Where can I get that, Max? <laughs> yeah, okay. well, it's a very good question. You probably didn't get enough ridicule yesterday, Barry, when you asked, does ink you subscribe to just magically appear in your house <laughs> you said this is probably a stupid question and i actually i actually gave you the benefit of the doubt i don't know why an utterly ridiculous question you can't download ink from the internet it has to be you know well that's what a, you made a- it sound like <laughs> <laughs> and i was thinking this can't be a thing and then but maybe it is a thing um because I'm quite a Luddite, so downloadable link might, might have been a thing. I, I didn't know. Hello, Dragons. My name's Max. This is my colleague, Barry, and we're here to uh, ask for 
10% uh, a stake, £200,000. Uh, for our company, Downloadable Inc. <laughs> yeah, there are some details we haven't worked out yet. Can we have your money? Uh, Brendan says, I arrived in Dublin yesterday and I thought the strings version of the theme music with the fiddles was just how it plays in Ireland. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, uh, yeah, and a couple of emails that we uh, have had and I keep running out of time, so I really want to read them. Um, uh, this first one is from Nathan Clark, who says, Good evening, everybody. I hope you're well. Uh, it's not often a player arriving on a season-long loan makes you well up, but uh, last week, that's exactly what happened as 19-year-old Jay Stansfield signed for Exeter from Fulham. It's a homecoming 12 years in the making in 2010. Jay's dad, Adam, tragically died of cancer. He was our number nine at the time, a firm fan favourite, relentless runner, clinical finisher. He was the type of player you just couldn't hate because you could tell how much it meant to him to make us happy. Stano's death was my earliest memory of grief. Everyone at the club, like a ton of bricks. It took us a long time as a club to come to terms with what had happened. Ten years later, uh, Adam's lad Jay is back at the club. We'll wear his dad's famous number nine shirt after it was retired for nine years. When we sing from the big bank at St. James's Park tomorrow, he sent this last week against MK Dons. There won't be a dry eye in the house. Um, he came on in the 79th minute at Exeter 1 1 0 in that game. It's a, it's a lovely story. Adam has been in touch to say, thought I'd share this. I've been listening to the pod a long time. Uh, this week, my mum died originally from Harrogate. She had a long battle with Alzheimer's. She fostered my love of football. Growing up in Hong Kong, she let me get up in the middle of the night to watch the 1981 FA Cup final between Manchester City and Spurs. This week in Charlotte, I'll be leading her memorial service that starts at 12.30 US time. Who's playing on Saturday at that time in the US? It's Man City and Spurs. Um, we send you our, our best wishes, Adam. Um, and uh, uh, your mum did a great thing letting you wake up in the middle of the night. And finally, um, uh, more upbeat. Hi all, long-term listener, first-time caller, huge fan of the pod, along with my pal Danny Cripps, who's getting married this Saturday, September the 10th. He's an Englishman living in Ireland for 20-odd years, a huge Spurs fan for his sins. Attention, football cliches. Safe to say we've taken some pleasure over the years in Spurs being Spurs and not football not coming home at every major tournament, Barry, I'm sure would agree. We were at the Dublin show this summer where Danny did in fact get to pass the meat around to the eventual winner in Mark Langdon's meat raffle. Uh, great evening. Sadly, we couldn't stay for a few pints after the show. He marries his lovely bride, Jessica, on Saturday. I'd love to get a call out on the pod that week, if at all possible, uh, from Max and Barry. A gent of a man and as an avid listener, it would make his week if at all possible. Best regards, Hoagie and the lad. So, Barry, if you could please wish Danny and Jessica all the best. Yeah, best wishes to Danny and Jessica. I hope they have a, a lovely day and I hope their marriage, uh, you know, lasts five or six years and <laughs> before one of them, they get sick of the sight of each other and get divorced or one of them cheats on the other and, and it all goes wrong and it's the children who suffer in those situations, isn't it, Max? <laughs> Um, but anyway, why are you best... telling me? I'm still happily married. I mean, I am in a different city currently. Um, uh, yeah, good luck to Danny and Jessica. Yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, thinking very... of you. I probably we won't. Absolutely... I'll have forgotten. But, uh... <laughs> what a heartfelt man. Honesty is important. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Barry. Uh, and that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Max. Cheers, Nikki. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Barry. Thanks. The Guardian Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. We'll be back on Monday.
is The Guardian.